Ever wondered what it would be like studying Spanish at the University of Oxford? Sit in on my conversations with Spanish tutors to find out what's so fascinating about the literature they teach, why they love teaching it, and why they think you might love it too. Hi, Jonathan. Can you hear me all right? Hi. How are you doing today? I'm okay, thanks. Yeah, I'm kind of gradually returning to work. My name's Jonathan Thacker, and I'm the King Alfonso XIII Professor of Spanish Studies at Oxford. I specialise in Spanish Golden Age literature, so that's literature from the 16th and 17th centuries. And so what's the name of the text that we're going to be speaking about today, and who wrote it? Okay, so Cervantes, um, Spain's uh, equivalent of Shakespeare, if you like, uh, wrote um, this text. He lived from 1547 to 1616, so he's a contemporary of uh, Shakespeare. Um, the, the text in, in Spanish is the Casamiento Engañoso y Coloquio de los Perros, which is the deceitful marriage and the dialogue or colloquy of the dogs. And it's, a, it's two uh, linked stories in a collection of um, novellas or short stories called the Novelas Ejemplares, or the Exemplary Novels, sometimes translated as the Exemplary Tales. And what's the basic plot of the double novella, these two linked stories? Yeah, um, so this is a double novella. Um, the Casamiento Engañoso, The Deceitful Marriage, is um, very short, only about 10 pages long. It's, it's told in the, in the first person, mainly, and it tells the story um, of... Uh, the marriage of this first-person narrator, uh, who's called Campuzano, to a certain Estefania. And they tricked each other in this marriage. So she thought she was marrying quite a rich soldier, and he thought he was marrying a woman who owned a house and was quite well off too. It turns out that they were deceiving each other, and the marriage falls apart. The, the plot... Uh, of the second story, which leads on from this, because it's the same storyteller, uh, is is not well. Plot may be the wrong word. It's um, it's a it's a dialogue between two dogs who happen to uh, gain the power of speech one evening, and it's overheard by this same Campuzano, uh, the, the 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 deceived husband, and he tells. Um, he tells uh, his interlocutor, the man he's speaking to, Peralta, about this dialogue, um, and which he has written down. And Peralta proceeds to read this, the dialogue of the of the dogs, which, as I say, doesn't really have a plot. It's one of the dogs, Berganza, tells the story of his life to the other dog, Cipion, uh, and it's uh, like life stories often are. Um, rather episodic uh, and um, uh, doesn't have uh, an obvious beginning, middle and an end, as we'd expect of a story. There's a lot to get our teeth into here, I think. Yeah, there is. Maybe tell us first, though, why you wanted to talk about this text in particular. Yeah. Um, so I, what, one of the things I like most about uh, Cervantes is his literary playfulness so he tell he tells good stories but he tells these stories in interesting ways and um we can see that through um a lot of the novellas in this 
collection. But I think that this particular story is perhaps the boldest, or double story is perhaps the boldest and most experimental of all. And um, you, you get a, a, a panoramic view of uh, Golden Age Spain and a lot of the, um, the, the character types, the people who lived there. So it opens a window onto uh, a, a period uh, 400 years in, in the past. So speaking of the historical and literary context around the text then, maybe you could talk a bit about when and where the text was written and uh, what was happening um, at the time. Yes, we don't know exactly, actually. It was probably written along with some of the other short stories in the collection and possibly along with Don Quixote as well, Cervantes' most famous work, in the early 1600s, so the first decade or so of the 17th century. Um, it's the early years of the reign of Philip III, um, Philip II, perhaps the, the more famous um, monarch, the, the, the king who sent the Armada against Elizabethan England in 1588. He died in 1598 and his son Philip III had taken over. Now Philip III was uh, a less popular uh, monarch and he was dominated by a favorite or privado in Spanish, the Duque de Lerma. So, and these were sort of difficult years for Spain when it was easy for people to be rather cynical. Uh, economically, they were tough and there were signs of um, the decline of the enormous empire over which Spain had, had ruled in the 16th century. And so do we know what sort of other literature, other authors around a similar time in Spain were writing and how this text that we're looking at today compares to those works? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. The, the, the most popular form of uh, literature in inverted commas was in fact drama. So the theatre, as it was in Shakespeare in England, was incredibly popular in Spain uh, in, this, in this period. And Cervantes himself had started out as a dramatist, so his first literary works were in, written in the 1580s, but um, his drama in the end wasn't being bought by the actor managers um, who were more interested in uh, the works written by his contemporary and literary rival, uh, Lope de Vega. So the drama was very important. Poetry was also uh, a, a, very, a very important form. Prose, um, perhaps not so much, but it was coming into its own, uh, particularly with uh, romances. So that is um, uh, stories um, with often so long prose stories with multiple characters, um, idealized characters and happy endings. And so, so what um, Cervantes is doing in writing a short story is something that's actually quite new in Spain in this period. And he says that he writes a prologue to the novella Sechenplades in which he claims to be the first to haber novelado in lengua española, the, the first to have written novels or short, short novels, short stories in Spanish. And so if what Cervantes is doing is quite new, do we know how this text was received then when it was first published? We don't know in terms of um, actual sales. Uh, those, sort of those sort of figures are very difficult to discover. 
but we know that Cervantes was much imitated. Cervantes himself, um, we should say, was, was partly imitating uh, a successful Italian form, the Italian novelli, although he, he claims to be the first to write novels in Spanish because his uh, novellas, short novels, are, um, are, a little, are a little different. The Italian ones are quite short and often bawdy, and he writes something that's a little bit more complex. This seemed to go down well, and we know that from the uh, amount of imitation the other writers, including actually his rival Lope de Vega, who began to write short stories um, after reading Cervantes' novelas ejemplares. Great. So I think let's move on to some detail on the text now. Let's focus on the first story from the double novella to begin with. Maybe you can give us a bit more detail on the plot of this first story now. Okay, so the first story, The Casamiento Engañoso, is in, introduced by a, a frame narrator, a third-person narrator, who then disappears uh, from the narrative. This narrator introduces Campuzano, an old soldier, who's um, emerging from the from hospital, having, having been treated for syphilis that apparently he caught from uh, his deceitful wife, uh, Estefania, he bumps into an old friend, Peralta, who asks him why he's not looking so well. And they sit down to eat in Peralta's inn, where um, uh, Campuzano tells his uh, story in the, in the first person. So this first part of the double novella revolves around this concept of um, deception, which is sometimes referred to as engaño. Can you explain this concept of engaño and maybe also speak a bit about its significance at the time that Cervantes was writing? So engaño is um, a staple of the Italian short stories. So they often involved trickery, often trickery in love. So Cervantes is um, acknowledging a debt to that tradition. But I think he takes the idea of engaño a little bit further and involves the, the reader in it, since firstly, um, we actually don't know the full story. Um, Campuzano tells us a version of how he was deceived by Estefania, but Estef Estefania's voice is almost absent from the story, and we don't really hear her um, point of view about the trick. Um, we forget to a certain extent that Campuzano is tricking Estefania uh, just as much, if not more, than she is tricking him. Secondly, um, there's an admission from Campuzano uh, during the story, during this narration to Peralta, that he's not telling the, the full truth. Aunque estoy diciendo verdades, no son verdades de confesión, he says. Although I'm telling truths, they're not the kind of truths that you could um, speak in a, in a confessional. So deceit comes into the, the, the form of the story, the way it's told, and, and he himself is an unreliable narrator. So let's move on now to the second story from the double novella. And maybe you can give us a more 
detailed summary of this um, second short story before we get into more kind of detailed questions on the text itself. Okay, so the colloquio is perhaps the most interesting of uh, Cervantes's novelas ejemplares. It's it's written uh, in the form of a colloquy or a, or a philosophical dialogue. It's a it's a Platonic or humanist model. The aim of a of a conversation between the two interlocutors is to reach a kind of truth through um, argument and through logic but it's also um, a dialogue between two dogs so it has a it has a low life uh, picaresque element uh, the picaresque is a form that's uh, first person that's comic satirical uh, that's episodic and as i say has has these low life uh, characters now berganza tells the story uh, from when he was a puppy to the present day. And we have a trawl through the various masters uh, that he served in various roles, from uh, butchers to shepherds to merchants um, to gypsies and to the, uh, his final master, his current master, who is an arms collector at the hospital in which Campuzano has been um, has been staying, and this trawl. So we get a trawl through um, golden age low life, set mainly in Seville and in other parts of Andalusia, and the Cervantes' Cervantes' purpose seems to be uh, mainly satirical to shine a light on uh, what is wrong uh, with the society of his, of his day. And I think this second part is really interesting because there's so many different narrative layers. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's a story within a story within a story because we have this story about the dogs, um, which is embedded within Campusano's wider story um, about his marriage and deception um, and his time in hospital, um, which is where he heard these dogs talking. And then this, in turn, is embedded in the story that we are, are reading. So why do you think Cervantes chooses to have all these different layers of narrative and present this text in this way? That's a really good question. I think for, for a number of reasons. Um, the the presence of a frame narrative um, allows for a comment within the text on, uh, on a text included within it. Uh, so it allows for, for example, moral judgments to, to be made by uh, an individual who is sitting outside uh, the text. So that's one thing. A, a second, a second thing to think about, perhaps, is uh, the reliability of um, these narrators. So uh, an important part of the double novella is that the first story um, throws light on the second, and we understand the first differently um, after reading the second. So once we know that uh, Campuzano um, says he has heard these dogs talking, we start to doubt 
um, his first story of the deceitful uh, marriage. So there are questions of authority and uh, trust which come up and also questions of truth and fiction. Why is it that we believe what we do once we start to question who it is who's uh, telling a particular story, then we can start to question that story uh, itself. Um, a, thir a third thing I'd say here is that it allows Cervantes uh, to be playful. Cervantes is quite a metafictional writer. That means that he writes literature about literature and he includes intertext. So, for example, some of the characters from other novelas ejemplares appear uh, in the in the colloquio. And that allows him to open up this area of ser and parecer, of being and seeming, which is a, a common preoccupation of Golden Age Spain. And so you've just said how Cervantes is quite a playful author at times. And I'm quite interested in the idea of humour um, in this um, second short story here. Um, right at the beginning, the two dogs, um, Scipion and Berganza, they start off, and I think this is quite comic, they start off by commenting on the surprising fact that they can talk like humans um, when they're dogs and they shouldn't be able to do that. Um, so do you think we're supposed to find this second short story funny? Yes, we are. Uh, it, it, I think that uh, you've put your finger on one of the reasons why um, it's, it is because of the different unexpected source of the dialogue. We get a new take on our world, a, a dog's eye view of the world about us. Um, but that, that also um, ties in with uh, a, a, a view of comedy from the, from the Golden Age. One of the things that Golden Age readers and audiences found amusing was um, the contrast uh, between styles, styles which are higher and styles which are, are lower. Um, so um, we have a, what I mean by that is that we have a, a, a philosophical form, the colloquy, that we have as protagonists of it, not clever individuals, but two dogs. And Cervantes plays with that as well in his, um, when uh, Berganza uh, spends some time with the shepherds, who uh, actually are as unlike the shepherds of pastoral literature as it's possible to be. They don't go around singing songs about love and carving their initials in trees. They um, go about defrauding their their masters. So again, you have a contrast um, there between the two styles, which Cervantes is very keen to, to, to point out. So there's that side of it, but there are also some amusing moments. For example, when um, Berganza uh, has access to uh, the magistrate and wants to tell him about uh, an idea he's heard of of how to make sure that you get you can get prostitutes off the street and um, makes his contribution but of course it all just comes out as 
wild barking instead of and and um Berganza is is beaten and sent out of the out of the house so you get so it's it's a comic um it's a comic novella but it also has those individual funny moments and the collection of stories that this double novella is part of um as you've mentioned already is called novelas ejemplares which we might translate as exemplary tales what's if anything is exemplary about this um, double novella and is there supposed to be a moral to this sort of second half of the story or the two stories together as a whole? Well, there are in the uh, stories, both stories, condemnations of deceit and trickery. So that, if you like, is a, is a, is a fairly clear moral uh, to, to the story. To particularly perhaps to the to the Casamiento, the first story, but there's more to it than that. Um, the exemplariness of the stories comes in two areas: in the moral, which I've just touched upon, and the aesthetic. And I think you could argue that Cervantes is more interested in the latter. So. Um, for example, what are the implications of a story uh, or, a, or a history, um, an account of something true, being told in a certain way? So it takes us back to this, um, these, these central ideas of, the, of not just the novelas ejemplares, but of Cervantes's uh, writing. Of course, the form of a, of a narrative um, does have an effect on the reception of a story. And that in itself may well have uh, moral consequences. Um, and we can see that, of course, not just by reading Cervantes' fiction, but in the world around us today, whose version of events uh, do we believe? Uh, why? Whose assumptions are we subject to? Um, how do we know what the truth is? And I think Cervantes wants us to think about that. He wants to educate us um, as readers, and he does it through um, through telling stories in in different ways. So I I think um, Cervantes is more interested actually in aesthetic uh, examples than in moral examples um, in this story and in the collection as a whole. A big part of studying Spanish at Oxford is looking at literary texts in a lot of detail. So I'm asking Jonathan to pick out a couple of quotations from this double novella so we can analyse it a bit more closely. I've chosen two sections of text because I want to contrast them. So after Campuzano has told the story of the deceitful marriage to Peralta, admitting as he goes along that he's not telling the whole truth. Campuzano has then mentioned that he's overheard the dogs talking, which um, makes Peralta respond in this fashion. He says, hasta aquí estaba en duda si creería o no lo que de su casamiento me había contado. Y esto que ahora me cuenta de que oyó hablar los perros me ha hecho declarar por la parte de no creerle ninguna cosa. Por amor de Dios, señor Alférez, 
que no cuente disparates a persona alguna si ya no fuere a quien sea tan su amigo como yo. So what he's saying, paraphrasing, is up until this point, that is, that you mentioned the talking dogs, I was in doubt as to whether to believe what you told me about your marriage. And now that you've told me that you heard these dogs talking, I'm convinced not to believe a word you've said. For God's sake, uh, Senor Alférez, he says, don't tell that nonsense to anybody unless they're a really good friend of yours like I am. And then the second quotation is um, some 50 pages later after um, Peralta has sat down and agreed to read the story of the, of the talking dogs. And so at the very end of the, uh, of the, of the double novella, he says to Campuzano, aunque este coloquio sea fingido y nunca haya pasado, paréceme que está tan bien compuesto que puede el señor Alférez pasar adelante con el segundo. That is, even if this dialogue is uh, made up and never happened, it strikes me that it's so well put together or composed that you uh, can go on and write the second. The second would be the story that Cipion will tell of his life to Berganza the next night, although uh, that was never written. So let's dive into looking at the first quote in a bit more uh, detail now. Um, so here, as you said, um, Peralta reveals that he's unsure whether to believe the story that Campusano has um, told him um, about his marriage. So to what extent do you think Peralta's playing the role of the average reader here, kind of starting to doubt um, what they've been reading um, previously? And if so, do you think this is a comment on what a good reader should be? I think um, Peralta is, over the course of the two stories, representing all of us as readers. But I think um, after the first uh, story, he's not an average reader, in fact. No, he's um, partly because he's a listener, and he's a listener um, who trusts his friend to tell him the truth. Um, partly, of course, because the story that Campuzano tells Peralta is told as fact, as something that has happened to him recently uh, in his life, but partly because um, of their friendship, and friendship engenders uh, trust. So I think here, with the first story, the, and, and this first quotation, it's more a comment on trust and authority, uh, which is of course an element of, of, of but an element both of storytelling and of friendship. And is there anything about the vocabulary um, in this uh, first quotation that you want to, to pick out um, that kind of complements these ideas of um, trust, for example? Well, Peralta calls his interlocutor, Campuzano, amigo. So there's that idea of, of, of friendship. And we also get the, um, the, the notion of belief, estaba en duda si creería or no, whether or not to believe the story that's being told. 
And we have the verb contar used three times, I think, in this, in this section. Um, a cuento, it, which is contado, is a, is a story which is, which is being told. Um, here, Peralta thinks that he's being told um, the, the truth, something that actually happened, but it turns out probably to be a, to be a cuento. And I'd also underline, I think, um, Peralta's need to know, you know, his, his, this is black and white for him. He wants to decide, declarar por la parte. He wants to know for certain, to be convinced whether um, he's being told the truth uh, or not. Let's move on now to the second um, quotation that you chose, which is from the end of the second short story that makes up the double novella. So here there seems to be um, a sort of progression where Peralta seems to let go of the fact that the story might not be real and he kind of revels in the idea that the story is well put together. What does this quote seem to tell us um, about the importance of a story being well constructed yeah, this is a really important point, I think, and, and why I chose these contrasting quotations, one with Peralta angry and feeling deceived, and one with him um, happy. And he's happy, um, I think, because he has a book, in inverted commas, in his hands. He, um, Campuzano goes to sleep, but hands him the notebook in which he's written down the story of the, of the talking dogs. So he knows it's a story, and he's not expecting the truth. Um, behind that, I suppose, and, and the reason the two stories are linked by Cervantes is, is because Cervantes as a writer is aware that both stories are made up of the same basic building blocks, words, words which can be truthful or which can be deceptive. So in, it, with the second story, Peralta relaxes. He relaxes into a story that lets him escape, that has certain codes, both generic, so it has picaresque elements, it has satirical elements, and structural codes that he's comfortable with. He, he knows what kind of story this is. He doesn't feel that sense of betrayal by, by a friend, even if he doesn't believe uh, that dogs can talk. And do you think these quotations that you've picked out for us to look at in more detail sheds any light on the theories of fiction that authors like Cervantes were influenced by at the time Cervantes was writing? Yes, they do. Um, Cervantes is writing at a time when, first of all, it was harder to ascertain uh, the truth of facts. Um, how could you know, for example, that a story told by a traveller to the far-off New World, um, how could you know that stories they told were true? Um, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't look these things up. And secondly, um, prose fiction itself was a fairly new form, at least in many of the forms it was beginning to take. So it was hard for an individual reader to know, or harder than it is today, for an individual reader to know whether to believe 
in romances, for example. And I'd make one further point. Um, Cervantes is bolstered at this time uh, uh, as a writer by the influence of Aristotle's poetics. But Aristotle said um, that in this work, that in some ways poetry, by which he means fiction in general, was of graver import than history because it told uh, universal truths rather than particular stories. So one implication of that for Cervantes is that the colloquio, however untrue, the dog's talking, is in fact, in some ways, more true than Campuzano's factual but individual story of his deceitful marriage. And looking at the quote again now, I'm quite interested um, with the way the second quotation ends, um, kind of leaving us hanging almost this idea of um, the next part of the story. Um, why do you think Cervantes does that? I think he does that partly because he probably wanted to write uh, Thipion's uh, story, whether he ever did, we, we don't know, but partly because storytelling never stops, uh, words never stop, stories um, keep going uh, forever. Thinking about applying for modern languages at uni? Well, keep up to date with the latest episodes of the podcast and find out about our upcoming outreach events by following us on Twitter at OxMML underscore schools. You might also like to take a look at our modern languages blog, Adventures on the Bookshelf. This podcast was created by Professor Ben Bollig, produced by me, Christy Calloway-Gale, and brought to you by the Subfaculty of Spanish at the University of Oxford. Special thanks goes to the tutors that participated and the Taylor Institution Library. <laughs>